this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Warning, the following broadcast contains adult language, adult content, frank safety discussions, and stories that might sound unbelievable. But believe me, every one of those stories is true. We didn't start the safety war, but we are going to fight to win it. For our families, for our communities, for our workplaces, and for our lives. Greetings, this is Safety Wars for Tuesday, September 27, 2022. Welcome to the show, and I appreciate everybody for tuning in today. And hopefully I have everything figured out today, unlike yesterday, and I apologize for that. I really appreciate people sticking with me here as I stumble through and fumble through everything that we're doing here on the air. So what is Safety Words Live? I'll, I haven't really decided on a name, but I'm calling it Safety Words Live. What we have is a brief uh, news segment where it's safety-related stuff. Sometimes uh, it's going to be something else. We're going to mix it up and everything uh, from environmentalism to safety or even going into the swamp. Yes, Jim Pozel will go into the swamp. Anyway, I'm having some fun here with the sound effects. So what is, what are we looking at? What are we uh, uh, doing here, right? We're going to talk about safety in the news, and then we're going to go into our main story. Uh, Really no format here. So here we go. New York Democrats have introduced the Standing is Tiring Act. Stop. The bill's sponsor, Karinas Reyes, She's a assemblywoman in New York State who is also a registered nurse. She said that occupations that require standing might help prevent problems from tired feet, back issues, and vascular problems. So we're all familiar with, if you've ever been at a military event, uh, my brother Wally, during his uh, graduation from boot camp in the Navy, it was his job to take uh, collect people well, at the ceremony who had orthostatic intolerance and passed out. And it did not help that it was like uh, May in uh, Chicago, and it was unbelievably hot. But all that going in now causes uh, vascular issues. The assemblywoman, Reyes, has said, this legislation presents a reasonable step in this direction, requiring employers to provide employees who can sit with the ability to do so and preventing employers from constructing workplaces to force furlong standing unnecessarily. This is me saying this, right? The risk of standing from long periods has been known for eons. Uh, take it from somebody who has a back issue like me. Uh, if it's no, where we cannot stand in one place, I got to be moving around. Uh, what this does is it's, Uh, prevention through design which has been shown to reduce workplace injuries by eliminating the hazards and everything else that are in there more commonly where i see this in my end of the business with fall issues is you have a railing constructed around the tops of buildings which is either a warning line or uh, what i'm seeing more of is that it's actually a guardrail system so for the life of the building no one 
uh, you don't need fall protection. Also, parapets on the tops of buildings also go along those lines. Uh, label this one, garbage in and garbage out. Right? A new study, Corrupted Climate Stations, the official U.S. surface temperature record remains fatally flawed, finds that approximately 96% of U.S. temperature stations used to measure climate change failed to meet what the National Oceanographic Atmospheric Administration, that is NOAA, considers to be acceptable and uncorrupted placement by its own published standards. This uh, was put out by a group, uh, and it is a trade group, uh, anyone called the Heartland Institute. Uh, and a little bit of disclaimer there, I uh, know uh, the people there. So anyone who has set up a weather station, and that's me talking now, that's passed any type of EPA scrutiny on a hazardous waste site, knows it's a pain in the neck to get the station right. Uh, if this report is true, then what does this mean for climate policy? You give garbage data in, you're going to get garbage data out. I know, uh, what, what are some of the things that uh, go into this? Uh, what goes into this is uh, the station has got to be so many feet away from other buildings and has to be so many feet off the ground, a certain number of meters off the ground, and everything else. I haven't checked the standards lately, but I know back in the day when we were doing this, this was like a nightmare getting these things set up. Story number three. Last Friday, Judge Clarence Jenkins, a Virginia state judge, tossed out a lawsuit filed by Our Children's Trust, stating a Virginia state law that promotes fossil fuel developments violates their constitutional rights. The judge dismissed the suit, basically, uh, from what I take it, on an issue of standing, uh, stating that state law shields the government for lawsuits alleging harms. And the case is all being appealed, but there wasn't even a hearing on this or anything else, really, just uh, so along the lines of a lack of standing here. Meaning, if you go to court, you have to have standing, meaning that you have to show that it personally impacts you or your business or a quote-unquote person, right? Which businesses are persons. Exxon uh, Mobile halted maintenance at an oil drilling facility after a fatality this week, which is normal operating procedures for most oil facilities. If you've ever been at an oil facility or a chemical plant or pharmaceutical or anywhere else for that matter, where there is a fatality, the facility has a tendency of shutting down until they get their stuff in order and there are investigations and everything else goes through there before they start things up over again. Uh, this was allegedly the second recorded death of a contractor for ExxonMobil at one of its uh, Texas production sites. The worker, uh, the details or any other information was unavailable except that the sheriff's office said that the fatality was ruled accidental. Might have been released since uh, I got this report. And of course, everyone wishes their thoughts and prayers. Here's my comment, right? Thoughts and prayers only go so far. Hopefully they can learn and grow from this situation to prevent other accidents and injuries. And let's always remember, all these companies are innocent until proven guilty. Uh, these are regulatory actions often, uh, not legal determinations. So even when you have a uh, uh, company that gets cited, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are guilty of anything. It just means that they are cited and that it's the beginning of the process. 
Nord Stream natural gas pipelines are leaking in the Baltic Seas. People are suspecting sabotage, and that is the heads of government from Poland and the Danish premier uh, said in a statement, right? Nothing can be ruled out. The gas line was not in operation at the time, but as we know that they never fully empty out these lines, especially if they're natural gas, they keep them slightly pressurized. Therefore, things cannot get into it if you're slightly pressurized. Gas line was not in operation, but officials have been getting jumpy with the escalation of tensions over economic sanctions over the Ukraine war with this Russia, I almost said Soviet Union, Russia and uh, Europe. So let's remember, Europe made a deal with the Russians to get all of their, pretty much the bulk of their energy from Russia versus the United States. That's, uh, no, that's into the swamp a little bit. And what happened was they ended up uh, 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 choosing Russia over the United States. There were a whole bunch of issues with that. You could go and do your research. Now that we have the Ukraine war, it's more or less uh, what the analysts have said is that uh, Russia basically has us by the gonads with all this stuff, and especially Western Europe. So now they're using the gas supply as a weapon of war. And as we know, they cut the gas supply, gas supply prices go up, and whatever gas they, they do sell or other minerals, guess what? Now they make more money and we're funding these things, right? To the chagrin of everyone, everyone now has more money. And again, that's the commentary, and those are not the opinions of Safety FM. But let's talk about this a little bit more. We all know that I have some experience, if you've uh, spoken to me, in the oil industry, specifically with pipelines, pipeline maintenance, coatings, that sort of thing. So here's a couple of questions that's not in the news that you will hear here on, uh, right, as a safety course is, that's ominous, right? Safety words exclusive. What is the maintenance schedule of the pipes? I don't know. That's got to be asked. When were they last maintained? When were they last used? Were there any damages? I mean, they should be able to send down a drone or a diver or something. It's zero, roughly 0 0.6 kilometers below the water line. So therefore, now it shouldn't be too big of an issue to go here and see what's going on. Uh, if we recall last, earlier this year, it might've been late last year, there was an oil spill in Cal, uh, California off the coast because they had all those ships backed up because of the supply chain issues. Pardon me. Those uh, ships and everything uh, were anchored off the coast of California. One of the pipelines got ruptured. Guess what? You had an oil spill last year. Next thing, what kind of coatings for cathodic protection is there? Cathodic protection, coatings prevent rust. Guess what? We might have an issue there. Were there any unusual operational upsets. They're saying that the uh, pipeline is uh, dead, right? Not being used. Uh, and the reason why they knew they had a problem was they had a lot of bubbles of natural gas on the surface, right? Are they, uh, and who is in charge of maintenance and inspection? That's the other thing. 
that's just a short list of things that they need to be looking at. And just because that there is a leak does not translate into sabotage. However, I'll point out that lax inspection and maintenance can be a problem in these situations. I've seen pipelines and process piping have issues my entire career. This does not mean sabotage. Something else I want to point out. They may be called, uh, right, these things need to be investigated because there is a thing called insurance. And insurance covers some stuff, but does not cover some other stuff. I'm just verifying that I'm on the air with CDFM there. Sorry, guys. Uh, does not mean anything. So, for example, the uh, the uh, 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 insurance, if this happens to be an act of war, there's a good chance that insurance is not going to cover this. I don't know how their policy is written. Versus maintenance and, you know, lack of maintenance. Lack of maintenance, guess what? The insurance companies are going to battle this one out. I'm just thankful that this is not oil and this is more or less a gas. Not saying that that's too good either because I don't think we want to have carbonated uh, carbonated uh, 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 seawater. No, I guess it would be carbonated with natural gas. So let's take a small break here and... In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. Okay, and we are back with Safety Wars Live. We're going to go into some financial uh, news uh, right now. And these are the closing numbers as of 15 past the hour. Uh, that's 8.15 p.m. on a Tuesday. Gold is, uh, had, uh, gold is at 1638.90, and it is a decrease of 20 cents. Silver is holding steady at 18.62. Platinum at 867.90, palladium at 2,110.50, it's down 15.90. The Dow Jones fell today, 125 and change to 29,134.99. Uh, there's been a lot of talk of hitting that 29,000 level. The Nasdaq is 10,829.50, and Bitcoin is trading at 19. 0-9390. So, now we're going to go into our... 
main story. We're going to be talking about the hierarchy of controls. We're going to be talking about hand protection right now. So we're back here talking about cut-resistant gloves. So recently, there was a major change to the classification we place on our gloves. Uh, how recent? Every couple of years. It seems to be an update in the ANSI uh, standard for uh, ANSI standard 105 as far as cut-resistant gloves. And what happens is there's always a lag time with some of the glove manufacturers from the old gloves to the new gloves. Back in the day, what did we have? We had gloves, and someone would say, hey, uh, we're going to talk about cut-resistant gloves here. Hey, uh, Jim, they need cut-resistant gloves. Oh, and here, by the way, they throw you a pair of your old-fashioned leather gloves. And we said, oh, wow, that's great. Now, let's talk about construction. And it's the same thing basically goes for general industry. Your employer needs to do a couple of things before they go and they give you any old pair of gloves. What do they need? They need to do some type of an assessment there. What are we going to do? What kind of hazards? Do we have abrasive hazards? Do we have cut hazards? Do we have heat hazards? Do we have uh, chemical hazards? What exactly do we have? All right. And cut resistance and knitted gloves, right, are influenced by four factors. The strength so high-strength yarns would be something like a Dyneema or a Kevlar. Hardness, which would be a dulling, does it dull out the surface? Uh, an example of a hard yarn would be something that's stainless steel, which is often a component in composite yarns. Lubricity. So if you ever look at a cut-resistant glove, a, a sewn one, right, and it's the yarn that gives it its cut-resistant properties, lubricity would be something along the lines of uh, how can we let it let the uh, 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 blade or whatever you're dealing with slide over that uh, slide over that uh, uh, surface on the glove? And then, of course, you have what is called the rolling action. Most knit gloves allow the yarns to roll as a sharp edge slides over them, producing somewhat of a ball bearing effect. Right, and the edge slides across without cutting them through the material. So you think of it as a rolling action, as it gets bundled up and everything else with that. Those are the four uh, properties of uh, cut resistance. Now, 
everything has to have a label on it. All of this equipment has a cut sheet. All of the gloves have a cut sheet. And what happens is that cut sheet is, uh, that cut sheet is, comes along with the glove or there is a label. It looks similar to a shield on the glove. Now, and you have different types. And I'm not going to go into all of the different types because then it's an endorsement and I don't endorse anything here. I do endorse uh, evaluation. So in my, uh, uh, what I do, if I know that people are going to have a, uh, need a cut-resistant glove, what I assume, hey, what when do I think they're going to need a cut-resistant glove? If they're using a blade. If they are using something that does uh, not have a, uh, a, a guard on it by design, like a knife, uh, some gardening tools, uh, incidental work, uh, where you may be dealing with uh, sharp edges. If I know, then I make a, a, a case that, well, hey, uh, are they going to need something where they're handling glass, broken glass, potentially, we're going to need something higher. So basically what I always end up doing and when I do the assessment is that everything is done on a, uh, I assume, a moderate cut hazard with everything, which would mean it would be a cut level A3 that's marked on the glove. Under the old standard, uh, right, pre-2015, uh, that would be a cut level rating of three. Now it's labeled A3, but you may see some gloves that are old stock that are cut level three. Right. Yeah, seven years later, I still see, uh, you'd be shocked what I come up with. Sorry about that. We had some background noise I had to resolve. This is what happens when you have a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old. And they're all excited. But anyway, A3, cut level rating of A3. So uh, uh, that's moderate. Let's say that we were going to have some type, something where I'm with broken glass. I would go to a cut level rating probably of A7 or A9. But you need to do a complete assessment. Because when you start to get into these extreme cut hazards, what do you end up having? The yarn is made of stainless steel and everything else. And guess what? Stainless steel is not very pleasant to wear once it gets to about 55 degrees Fahrenheit, Right. I have with temperature, I got to always mention Fahrenheit, right? Where I'm working at. Now, what do these things do? Uh, uh, I'm now this is all copyrighted, so I got to be a little bit careful here. So, basically, what they do is they take the glove, they put it on the device, they put a weight on top of the glove, and they move the glove back and forth 2.54 centimeters. Where, if you remember from your high school uh, math class, that's one inch back and forth. And they determine how much weight is needed for the uh, to cut through. So that's basically what it comes down to with cut resistant gloves. You need to do some type of evaluation exactly what are you doing. Now, back in the day, uh, and I mean back in the day, like 2009, uh, a lot of times what people did was they would buy liners that were cut resistant and put them in other gloves. That and so the cut uh, level would be whatever the highest cut level rated cut level was. Now, uh, of that, so if you had a leather glove on the outside and you had a cut level 
for a glove on the inside, it would be cut level four. The problem here is this. I don't, people still try to do this. It's very difficult if you're going to be a health and safety professional or other auditor to go and say, hey, I'm going to, uh, you know, check that out to audit that. Number one. Number two is this. What's an employee going to do? An employee is going to do whatever is the easiest thing they could do. Does that make sense? All right. An employee does not want to get hurt. A person does not want to get hurt. However, they don't want to make their job harder. Let's remember that. So with these cut, so what happens is, oh yeah, I'm wearing a cut resistant glove. Look at me, I'm protected. And then you look closer, guess what? They're just wearing the outer glove because they don't perceive it as a hazard. Remember, 37%, I've all often heard that quoted, that number. I didn't do the numbers myself. 37% of injuries in the workplace happen to be to the hands. So therefore, that's where, uh, uh, why, you know, it's important to protect your hands. And we'll talk about the hierarchy of controls first. Right, I didn't want to start out with that because I'm sure I would lose half of whoever's listening out there. But anyway, that's uh, uh, the whole deal with uh, cut level gloves. You got to do the assessment. Now, with the way that gloves are now, you could go on to any number of websites and you could find out, guess what? Uh, We could have a leather glove sewn in with a cut resistant liner and everything else in there. Uh, some of the other things you have to worry about with cut uh, level gloves, abrasion resistance, tear resistance, puncture resistance. This is where doing an assessment works. So for example, a lot of gloves, now I'm not saying get rid of those old leather gloves you've been using for time immemorial. But what I'm saying is do an assessment. So uh, for example, let's say you're going to be cutting wood. If you're going to use a, nitrile coated or PVC coated glove on the outside, right? Because that adds a little bit of grip uh, res- grip uh, uh, potential there where you could grip things or you could go and uh, 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 no, uh, grip resistance or some type of wetness if you're dealing with a humidity or anything like that, that's meant for that. Maybe an incidental chemical contact of some sort, like a drop. We're not talking anything major. Any of this stuff, if you try to swing an ax, you're not really gonna have that much luck or even a uh, pick or something like that if you're in construction. Not gonna work because you need a sliding motion on the hand. That's not how the tool is used, right? Something else you wanna uh, consider is the size of the glove. Is that glove going to cause a uh, is going to cause a uh, hazard where it's rolling equipment, for example. Can it get suck, get suck your hand into it? That's usually an over-cited reason for not wearing gloves at all. Uh, but they have gloves for everything. Now, let's say that now that's cut-resistant gloves and all that other stuff. Let's say that you're going to have a chemical hazard. Hmm. Well, there are, let's see, I have a list here. Six different types of 
chemical resistant gloves that are typically in the market. There's actually one more, seven. How many did I say? Six, seven, eight, eight. Yes, there are eight. Uh, which is the eighth one is latex. Back in the day, I'll give you a story. 1992, we were, uh, uh, I was a new guy. Uh, I believe it was October, November of 92. Uh, brand new, right, almost right out of school, three or four months. I've gone through the 40-hour Hazwopper. We were doing a job at the Molly Pitcher Rest Area. I don't even know if it still is named that because they renamed all of this stuff in New Jersey. Uh, to popularize them. I don't know. Hey, it's New Jersey. We even had a Howard Stern rest area on Route 295 at one time. Uh, it was a campaign promised by Christine Todd Whitman to Howard Stern. But I digress. But anyway, uh, my boss, uh, my supervisor, uh, who is a listener, he'll be laughing about this. I remember this. He uh, ordered gloves and everything else. And what, they, what did they order? They ordered latex gloves. And I said, and not knowing any better, no, new guy, I'm not going to argue anything like that. I'm relying on the supervisor to do things. And my supervisor, a guy named Bill, great guy, phenomenal guy. He's the head of a, a Metro Washington, D.C. environmental firm right now, the last I checked. And his boss, who will be, remain nameless, he ended up, uh, his boss ended up, uh, getting latex gloves. Well, we were handling uh, gasoline. It was from an underground oil spill from an underground UST. What do you think happened to the latex gloves, and these are like dish gloves, upon contact with a petroleum product? Any idea? Do, 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 do. Come on. This, right? What do you think happened? And let's get the music the latex melted. That gasoline went right through that latex like it wasn't even there. And it was bad. Bad. And what ended up happening was the uh, everybody got, including me, got contact dermatitis uh, on, uh, and which, uh, I won't go into that, contact dermatitis from this. And if you realize the gasoline... It is a contact hazard. You could uh, conceivably get a chemical exposure going right through your skin. Back in the day when they used tetraethyl lead for gasoline, tetraethyl lead has the, also known as organic lead, uh, a lot of times went right through the skin. So something you got to do. So they came back in the office and they started yelling and they started screaming and they started arguing and they started cursing and everything else. So now someone sat down and said, okay, we're, uh, Jimmy, you go and you evaluate exactly what kind of glove we need. So me and Bill sat down and he said, Jimmy, this is how you do this. You sit down. He said, did you go over this in the 40-hour class? I said, no, they did not. Not really. And, you know, they throw a lot of information at you. You, you know, you're not going to remember everything. And he said, okay, this is what you're going to do. And we went through and we got a pair of nitrile gloves. Now, Bill was pretty smart cookie on this one. He had done uh, work for the government, uh, very high level in the cartography department. 
So he had a very analytical mind, this guy. Plus, he was a geologist and had an engineering background. So his whole thing was, and he knew people, and he got the whole team together. And he said, we're going to pick out gloves that we all could agree on. And we ended up getting nitrile gloves, and we came up with a procedure on how often we would change them out and everything else. And what do you think happened? The owner, uh, owners of the company who are not doing the work, who are not familiar with the work, started screaming and yelling at a $2 pair of gloves. So uh, what's the uh, lesson? One, don't tell the owners of the company everything. That's what we learned. We were more capable of going out and making our own decisions, get everybody on the same page. And this way, everybody was good. And we had ended up, the owner of the company, once she found out what the uh, uh, what we were doing and everything, then she was okay with everything going on. But again, you have to justify everything. So we used nitrile. We were sampling uh, groundwater monitoring wells. And what, what did we do? End of the job, you throw them out. End of the day, we throw them out or if we get breakthrough. Something else you got to realize, this actually happened up in West Point on one of the projects I was on. A, uh, I was not the safety director for the job, uh, but this is essentially what happened. We had a chemical product used to remove lead-based paint from uh, uh, from uh, uh, wood up there. And if you ever, uh, one of these days, I will share my story about lead issues up at West Point, but uh, publicly. But essentially what happened was uh, they... Uh, Person was nitrile was the correct glove to use for that chemical, and it was a like a what we call a gross decon where his hand, this guy's hands was smothered with it, and you no know, we were using PVC and you know uh, and you know, being four or five times the price of nitrile at that time this style of nitrile gloves you know it still got about the same amount of time effectively uh, one day's use half a day's use out of the gloves so this was a pretty uh, 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 pretty good, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Caustic, right? So what do you think happened? He went, uh, this guy, and he had a hole in the glove. And rather than just get a new, do- new $2 pair of gloves, he put a piece of duct tape on it. Yes, duct tape. And of course, this was on a Friday afternoon in the summer, and it was one of the last uh, nice... Uh, Fridays of the summer, and at about 2.45 in the afternoon, he says, Jimmy, look at these gloves. Look at these gloves. And, you know, and they start going nuts. Oh, no, oh, no, right? No, Toto, Toto, Toto. Oh, oh, no, my finger, my finger, blah, blah, blah. Right? And this guy goes out there, and uh, he ends up going and... Taking off the glove, the gl- his fingers were black. What did they end up having to do? They ended up, again, we started with the milk rinsing off with water, copious amounts of water, and everything else. And uh, what ended up happening was uh, they uh, uh, ended up debriding the finger. And yes, debriding the finger. And it, it hurt. It hurt like you would not believe to debride that finger, and they got it down to good skin, and he sent him on his way, and thus he had an OSHA recordable uh, with that, and uh, 
pretty horrific injury. So again, what these what what's the moral of the story? The moral of the story is that there has to be some type of training. You need to have several. No, no, buy gloves by the dozen, especially the chemical resistant gloves. How do you do this? You have to go and you have to figure out what kind of glove is appropriate for the chemical or the chemical mixture that you're going to be using. The safety data sheet that's out there that you know, you're oh. No, go and read that safety data sheet. That safety data sheet looks... No, that'll tell you everything. What does the safety data sheet tell you? It tells you baloney. Use a pair of impervious gloves. Well, that's really helpful on that safety data. And guess what? The material safety data sheet of the days of yore was even worse than this one. So what do you end up having to do? You end up having to go and get... uh, 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 you know, the book. And there is a chemical there is a chemical resistance guide for all different chemicals that it matches the appropriate PPE with the right, the chemical and everything else. And you also have something that's even better than that. You have what's called a chemical manufacturer cut sheet. And it's usually on their websites. If not, you give them a call. So often it's included with the uh, gloves. So if you go out to your favorite local, uh, what do you call it? Your favorite local uh, hardware store, right? Uh, no, you have them out there. You go up uh, up there and you say, I want to get a pair of chemical resistant gloves. And you go up there and what do they have? They have PVC, PVA, neoprene, butyl, nitrile, what have you. And what happens is there's a, a, a package on it. It's in a package. It's stapled together. On that package, there is a cut sheet linking all of the major chemical classes and common chemicals like diesel fuel, uh, lye, sodium hydroxide, uh, you know, uh, things of that nature, all on there and what the, what the appropriate glove is. What usually happens? All this stuff usually gets thrown out, right? And uh, that's something, uh, you know, that, so what's the moral of the story? You need training. You need an asset. Well, you need an assessment. You need training. Uh, you need to figure out what kind of glove. And there is one particular glove. I won't, uh, it's silver. So you can figure that out. Uh, what it is that actually has an expiration date on it. Isn't that interesting? It actually has a expiration date. Now, let's talk. And we're going to talk. Now, that's enough for that. Uh, if you're interested in more training, give us a call over at Safety Wars. We're going to take a brief time out here. Oh, wrong one. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? 
Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. Okay, well, we'll figure that out another time. So, uh, anyway, where are we now? All right. The, uh, okay, hierarchy of controls. Let's talk about hierarchy of controls. We're going to talk about left of the bang. And since this is Disaster Preparedness Month, and it is the last week of Disaster Preparedness Month, we're going to talk about what do we need in a disaster? What are the appropriate gloves? So, hierarchy of controls. So we're all familiar with those, right? Hierarchy of controls is simple. You, after you do your assessment, what you try to do is you try to figure out uh, what, you're, what you need to do as far as uh, do we need to, uh, 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 no, how do we mitigate the hazard? Is real simple. Are we going to engineer, or I'm sorry, eliminate? Yeah, I've been doing this for 30 years. I got three things going on here. All right. First thing you're going to do is that you're going to want to eliminate the hazard. And you say, wow, I have a hand hazard here. Is there any way that I could eliminate this hand hazard to uh, prevent, let's say, a cut hazard? Well, rather than, what's one way we can eliminate this? Uh, can we do this? Can a machine do this? Is this job even necessary to do is one way. Second thing is this. Can substitute? Well, okay, rather than use a blade, can we use a set of shears to cut the, cut the, uh, uh, whatever we're cutting, right? This is a, uh, let's not, no, we're talking hands here, but let's talk about decontamination in, the uh, uh, for a hazardous waste site. So you're putting on a pair of boots. You have a pair of those nuke boots, so it could be another pair, and you have to take the nuke boots off. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to take those boots off inside out, and you there is a rolling technique to take those boots out. If, uh, what, what have I seen often, especially back in the day? You had people... Well, I don't want to roll the boots inside out. That takes too long, blah, blah, blah. Uh, So therefore, I am going to take a knife, a utility knife, and I am going to go and I'm going to cut the boot off. And what do you think happens? Three stitches and a calf later, you know, oh, that was a great idea. All right. 
And eventually that's going to happen because we do know that all, uh, that all, uh, 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 what do you call it? All accents are human error, right? All accents are human error with that. So eventually you're going to get it with that. Uh, what's some, uh, what's another way of uh, doing this? Let's say that you have a blade and automatically this is what uh, a lot of safety professionals do. I think because it's good marketing that by uh, the suppliers, uh, they go out and they uh, uh, get these spring-loaded, self-retracting utility knives, meaning that you have to keep a force on that knife, it ha- right? You have to keep your thumb or something on that knife. And then when you re- take your finger off it, it retracts in and it's spring-loaded, it retracts in. Well, this is a problem with that. Some of the jobs, that's a pain in the ass to use. So what do you think people do? They take the spring out or they jam something in there like duct tape and they to hold the blade open and non-retractable, right? My argument has always been, why are we using that and not a pair of shears, right? And remember, if you have a set of shears, often those cut-resistant gloves that you have, the shears will go right through them. But anyway, I digress. Going on, you also have here the uh, uh, right uh, the the uh, knives, the utility knives, where the minute whether you have your finger on the button or not, the minute that you lift the weight and the pressure off the knife, it all automatically retracts. Those are really neat looking, and if you take them apart, they're really neat to look at. But the fact of the matter is these make the job harder and therefore make things a little bit more apt for abuse and for uh, uh, jury rigging and everything. And what, so this is one of the things you, right, so how do you enforce that? What ends up having to happen, you end up having to fire people or discipline them to get them to use the right knives. That's bottom line with it. But what happens with the, on the accident investigation end? You get these folks out there, these safety guys. Well, this is another way to blame the employer, and I'm sorry, blame the employee and the contractor for everything. Well, you were using this knife. Uh, we know that you were using a regular razor knife, or a.k.a. box cutter. No, I wasn't. I was using this. Well, you prove it. But if you would have went and used the one that we said that you were going to use, this accident would have never happened. Well... If we did what you said, uh, told us to do, guess what? You're go- this would have taken three times longer. And there has to be a little bit of give here. And there you have to have all the options. Cutting things doesn't automatically mean knife. It could mean shears. It could be uh, electric cutters. It could be a machine. It could be any number of things. They even have uh, uh, cutting blades that are made out of exotic materials that do not cut human skin. I was shocked when I saw that you're going to pay for them, but guess what? How much does an accident happen, like the uh, cost, like a laceration that, uh, uh, where you have to go to the hospital? You have to get stitched up. That's a boatload of money there, man. So guess what? You can't, you got to use some of your uh, common sense here. All right, next one, all right, uh, with that. Engineer. Can we engineer things out? Do we have an engineering control? This is kind of hard to do with a hand hazard 
But I'm not going to say it's impossible, right? You think about it. Administrative controls change the way that people work, right? And use the PP and use the uh, uh, equipment. Can you? They do this job differently. Here's the other one. Can they subcontract it? Do they? Can they get pre-cut, uh, uh, pre-cut material? Hmm. The other thing is with using different tools, right? And there's some overlap here. Everyone knows that in the safety industry, right? Now with the tools, though, there's an enforcement thing uh, with that. And you also have to have uh, now uh, firing people. Uh, are they using the correct tools? Are they, you know, and they say, oh, screw it. I'm not going to use that. I'll bring in my own knife. All that stuff goes in there. Uh, administrative controls change the way that they work on the on these things. But what the thing is, so let's think about this. You're putting everybody in the ends Rasmus in skills-based mode. But you have low attention to task and high familiarity, and people are in autopilot. If you set up the job so it's quote unquote idiot proof, so Things go flowing. You have low, high familiarity, low attention to it. Guess what? Your error rate is extremely low or high, however you want to describe it, right? So, and when you start to give people tools and you give them all the if you say, look, you're only allowed to use this. Guess what? Those are the only ones that we have here. Don't bring your tools from home, which is always a bad idea. Almost always a bad idea. Guess what? You're going to put the person into the skills mode versus you got to be, be more, pay more attention with that knife. You have to be, um, pay more attention with that activity. Now, right off the bat, that you're going to put that person in a mode of work, also known as the rules-based mode, which is going to cause them to have more errors. And then, of course, you have the lack of knowledge mode and everything else, and uh, it's an issue. Right, you're going to have a situation on your hands with that. So set up the work area the way it's supposed to be, because what you want to do is eliminate, right, eliminate the uh, uh, hazard because you're not relying on the individual to do things. When you start to get back down to the last thing, which is PPE where you're going to go and you're going to say, hey, we're going to issue gloves. Now what do you have to do? You have to go with that PPE and you have to, and you have to uh, take it and make sure that they're using it. You have to do training. Is it the right PPE? Are they wearing it all the time? You're relying a lot on the worker to make a lot of decisions and do everything the right way. That is a very dangerous way of looking at things, a very dangerous way of doing things. And if you are in charge of safety, you have to periodically, I recommend every January, and if you need help, give us a call at Safety Wars, 845-269-5772. You have to figure out and document, hey, this is why we are doing X, Y, and Z. This is why we are using this pair of gloves for this. This is why we're doing this with this process. And I usually take care of all that stuff on... Uh, 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 Every January, when nothing is going on, my clients will give me a call. And you're relying, that's why you don't really want to rely on PPE. Now, let's talk 
about disasters and emergencies. We have a thing, no, and disaster response and everything called left of the bang. So this is from a military and law enforcement concept of you have left of the bang. That is everything that you could do before the event happens. So you would have to figure out what in a disaster, what would you do left of the bang? What are the likely hand hazards we're going to have? You're likely to have bloodborne pathogens. You're likely to have cut hazards. You're likely to have abrasive hazards and chemical hazards, especially if you're going to be filling up generators and things of that nature. So those are the appropriate, what kind of gloves and hand protection you need. You need all of that left of the bang before the disaster happens. Then you have the bang, the disaster. Guess what? That's out of your control usually. Then you have right of the bang, and that's your response to everything. If you're not prepared for this stuff ahead of time, getting the right kind of gloves, the right kind of PPE, and everything else, you're going to have a major, major, major issue there with that. All right? You're going to have a major issue with that because, oh, well, what kind of gloves do I have? These are the kind of gloves. I don't know if I kind of glove. Blah, 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 blah. And guess what? What's one of the major contentions or the major things you got to do in the disaster response field? What is it? Come on, all together now. What do you need to do? You have to make sure that you do not become part of the problem, right? Uh, The bottom line. Make sure you do not become part of the problem. If you become part of the problem and medical care is not there, now you have a problem. Well, now you have to worry about first aid. You have to make sure that you have the appropriate first aid. And if you need first aid CPR training, we do that too, by the way. So those are a lot of the things that you need to worry about here all concerning hand hazards and things that go along with them. That's all I got for you guys tonight. Ah, we're finishing now. It's what? 54 minutes past the hour, 55. And what do we have coming up? We're going to continue for the rest of this week on PPE and the disaster, along with our uh, other stuff going on. Uh, I think this program went a lot smoother than last night's program. I appreciate and we appreciate here at Safety FM everything that you folks uh, do out there to support us. If you like this broadcast, like it, share it on social media. This is going to be uploaded to the Safety Wars podcast that's available on 40 different, I'm told 40 different uh, platforms in uh, 32 countries, I think we have listeners in 32 countries, uh, and all across North America and the UK. That's all I have, and I hope you get to see you tomorrow at the same time. Uh, it's 8, a, 8 p.m. Eastern time on safetyfm.com, and we're going to be moseying on into October. I can't believe it. Uh, and I guess we're going to talk about Halloween safety. Dun, dun, dun. So, have a great night. 
The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others.